Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Black and Lax Pod. Well, technically this is episode two, but we call it episode one because episode zero was an origin story about some washed up, never was guy. This one is a real legit episode about a really important person in black lacrosse, a really important person in lacrosse period. Um, someone who's moving slowly from memory into legit history. And his name is Jovan Miller, two-time All-American lacrosse player from Syracuse Universities, born and raised in the area, who, truth be told, really wanted to be a Terp, but it didn't happen that way. I got to talk to Jovan about his activism. I've oftentimes you know, called him... Uh, the Colin Kaepernick of lacrosse. And while that might be a slight exaggeration, it was an important acknowledgement because Javon was willing to sacrifice a large percentage of his playing career in his prime uh, for something that he truly believed in that he found to be disrespectful to the game as a whole. Javon has had the privilege of playing in two professional leagues in their infancy, uh, and now his life has taken on a new challenge uh, as he heads into his post-career, redefining what lacrosse and activism uh, look like as a whole. He's also redefining what representation for black players can look like in the game as well. One of his favorite things to say is that his goal is to focus on having people getting comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. I've had the pleasure of talking to Jovan on multiple occasions. There was nothing uncomfortable about talking with him. Mr. Joe Von Miller, or as you like to say, Jeffrey son. Hey, I like to ring it up, baby. How's your day going today, sir? Uh, it's going very well. Going very well. Um, just uh, hanging on a normal Friday, baby. How are you? And, and scaring the hell out of folks, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, don't sca- listen, if you haven't done anything, you shouldn't be scared. So, I mean, that's true, right? Like that's, yeah. that should be normal. That should be a normal, like etiquette of life. Right. Like, right, right. you know, I know you hear police sirens or the, hel- or the helicopter, but you know, if you didn't do nothing, you got nothing to worry about. <laughs> right. Right. You good. You straight. Right. Oh man. Okay. So Joey, normally I would say you don't need an introduction. When I describe you to people, I always say that you are, you know, I'm being hyperbolic, but I do say that like you are lacrosse's Colin Kaepernick. Oh, that's an honor. Actually, wow, thanks. I mean, that's how oh. I feel. But it, but right. in your own words, can you give us a, a, a quick synopsis of your of your history, where you're from, what you've done? Oh, man. Um, God, I'm trying to think of the cool stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me stop. Um, yeah. My name is Jovan Miller, originally from Syracuse, New York. Grew up in Syracuse, ended up going to Syracuse University. I'm going to rewind back. That's the general stuff that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, I am from the west suburb of Syracuse called uh, West Genesee. I uh, discovered lacrosse when I was in seventh grade. Um, the first team that I made, the first response that uh, my coach told me that he got a phone call in from three different parents saying, why is that black kid on the team? That was mm. my introduction to lacrosse in regards to, from that point on, most of the time, I was either the only or one of two blacks or minorities on every team up until I got to college where I was on a team of four. 
I am the first. Oh, progress. Um, progress. Uh, pro- right, exactly. Right? <laughs> we started. We started getting more people involved. Right. Um, my high school. Uh, I transferred from West Tennessee High School, which is like one of the thoroughbred programs of the country, to a place called Christian Brothers Academy. Went there. We won sectionals for the first time in school history twice in a row. Also made a state championship appearance. Lost. But in the meantime, I ended up being the first ever Under Armour All-American in school history. I went on to go to Syracuse University uh, while I was there. Won two national championships in 2008 and 2009. And eventually, I was an All-American my junior and senior year at the Cuse. Ended up being um, the first black All-American in school history since Jim Brown over 50 years ago. I'm also, wow. all, I'm also an all-century Midfielder, um, voted by by the fans in 2016, and um, uh, my, it's probably been the greatest honor of my career was to represent um, Syracuse. So it is something that's given me a lot of cachet. In the process, I've also been big on. Uh, I hated always being just categorized as an athlete. So uh, love school. Did not love school at first, but um, I had three um, degrees. I have two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree. I have a master's degree from abroad. I went to Loughborough University in the United Kingdom for a year where I got to A lot learn. of people don't know that about you. They're like, yeah. you don't just be talking yeah. that shit. Like, you are highly educated. You you, yeah. you speak because yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's kind of, um, I don't I don't like to, I leave that kind of out just because I like to be misconceived a lot of times as, as, as just a borderline good student that just survived school. But yeah, that's a little bit of my backstory. I love um, love lacrosse, love the game. But again, there's so many things that even after my career that I wish that things would have been able to do, uh, things that I wish that were better in the game. So I've been working towards doing that. I have a podcast called Give It Context Podcast. Um, Which you can get on every podcast thing. So every podcast, you should definitely go check that out. Yes. Um, and... Uh, just uh, stopped playing professionally after nine years in the pros. And like I said, I just uh, enjoying being a middle school teacher now. That's what I do in my free time. I'm going to go back to that that component about your education just for like a hot second, just because yeah. I believe that, you know, to, to kind of clarify, you know, our inside joke was that, listen, you don't need to have a level of education to validate any experience. Right. But at the same time, lack of education, it will be the first thing that people will try to use to, de- to demean you and undermine whatever you have to say. And yeah. I think the, what makes it funny to me and you is just the fact that, you know, for folks who don't know, they could try to easily throw that around. Oh, he, you know, he was a student athlete, so he should just be happy he's here. And it's like, no, right. this brother earned his keep, not just on the field, but in the classroom. So when he right. speaks, you have no excuse not to listen. Right. Uh, I mean, like I said, I don't hated the stigma of athletes. Um, since the beginning of time, because we don't tell doctors to just stick to doctor work. We don't tell lawyers to just stick to law. We don't tell any other profession to do the same. But when it comes to athletes in general, stick to sports. And so I always was th- something that I, I wanted to destroy that stigma, at least in my own personal life, and make sure that people understood that I was more than just uh, the person out there making all the plays. I also was somebody who had a mind and was willing to use it and express it uh, articulately because, you know, Athletes can't ever be articulate. They usually have to have some form of schooling. I was just about to say, because I think part of the, I think the two main factors that play into that is that we're, we've been fed a narrative that led us to believe that, one, sports are apolitical. And two, we're in a unique generation because 
we're the last people to have experienced dumb jock syndrome, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so I do think that there's those are two things that play that play a role into that. I want to go back to real quick though, like your time at uh, at West Genesee, um, you know, or some folks might call it West Jenny, right? So, tell me about the first time somebody put a stick in your hand. How I started was I was flicking through the channels, and Syracuse was playing Princeton in the national championship game. Syracuse lost in overtime. B.J. Prager scored on the feed from Ryan Boyle. And that was my introduction. I was watching the game from the fourth quarter. And I was nice. just watching – well, the thing was this third quarter into the fourth quarter, but I was watching and I was, like, mesmerized by the movement. It was just incredibly different. I was just like – it was easy to follow, obviously, you know, wh- whoever scores more goals than the other. But I was just watching and I said, like, I think I could do that. And I was actually, um, this is a side story that people don't know. Um, my father had bought me two pairs of track shoes. I was going to start running track. I think it was like the following following week or the next week after that, I was going to start running track. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm watching this game. I went upstairs and asked my mother, um, hey, mom, could you buy me a stick? You know, I just watched this game on TV. It's unbelievable. Like, I want to see if I could do this. Uh, my father was away in Cuba or on a work trip. And what ended up happening was the national championship is always on Memorial Day. So my mother goes to work, and she's just distraught. She's really hurt. This man walks by, one of her coworkers, good friend of hers. His name is John Palmatier. And John was asking, uh, you know, why are you crying? And uh, she says, uh, my son wants to try lacrosse, but he can't afford the stick or the gloves or any of the equipment. It's really expensive. Um, she comes in, uh, she, he comes in on Wednesday, smacked at I don't know how many hundreds of dollars and said, um, this is for all of this stuff. You don't owe me back. It'll be the best decision you ever made in your life. And wow. John, Palmatier, John Palmatier ended up passing away when I was a freshman at Syracuse before I actually got to play a collegiate game. He could never watch me play. Wow. That's a, that's a damn. <laughs> wow. That's a powerful story, man. Yep. Just that alone. And I mean, a few hundred dollar investment by a kind man, but like <laughs> you've paid right. that back a million times over. So right. that's, that's beautiful. Right. Um, you did mention though, now you're suited, you're geared. This person has, has paid it forward this, in this wonderful act. And now you're suited and booted and you're ready to go. And the first thing that happens to you when you step on the field is someone says, what's that little brown boy doing? <laughs> doing on the field. Yeah. But that was a sport. Um, I think that that's the thing. You, you, um, to be a really good player, you have to be brave. You have to be willing. To, there's certain things as a, uh, a player of color, black player, or like I said, any player of color, that you have to kind of, you have to have very tough skin. Um, there's going to be a lot of underhanded comments that people will say. And I'm really, you know, I always say sarcasm is my first language and English is my second. So when people would say these little underhanded, like, oh, man, that's a nice stick for you oh, wow, I'm kind of surprised that you could do that. Or, wow, you're really athletic. Why are you not playing football? Like, there were always these assumptions of other things that were being uh, put on my plate. We didn't use uh, the term at the time, but those are like the passive microaggressions. Microaggressions that people will say. And, again, I think if you're going to play the game at at any level, more or less when you're in um, your lower levels, unfortunately, uh, adults are the worst people on the planet. And uh, they will say some very hurtful things. 
I mean, I'll tell you that even in the stress level of coaching youth, the kids are never the problem. It's always the adults. Always the adults. The kids, um, they, I always have so, told uh, parents that your children are parents. As soon as you start saying something in the house that you don't, that's, that's unfiltered and you don't know that they're paying attention that you talk and they say that out on the field, just understand that it's not the child's fault, it's yours. Yeah, I mean, adults a lot of times, they, they completely think that they're never the problem. Now, I guess I would also ask to create, I'll use your term, to give it context, right? In a lot of ways, like you're not an anomaly. I mean, you are, but, you, but you're not in terms of your athletic prowess because you're a multiple sport athlete. You, you, played, right. you ran track, you played, you played uh, basketball, you played football, um, right. you know, uh, one of your teammates at, at Syracuse was a lifelong kid that you've known for, for your entire life because he played Pop right. Warner football with you, John right. Galloway. So, right. so you didn't have any pushback in any of these other spaces. It was just here. It, the pushback that you receive is for the wrong reason. You're getting the pushback for if I can't do something for that team, now I'm less than. As opposed to in lacrosse, it was like, you can't help us at all. Why are you out here? This is not your sport. There's right. always these categories to what sports um, blacks should be playing. Um, and, again, when, we, when, when given opportunity, regardless of sport, when we get an opportunity, we, usually, we take it over. So um, I had some coaches. I, I had coach, my first coach, um, God, Rick Chapman. God bless him. Um, he was the man who gave me the shot. He knew that picking me to be on that team as opposed to appeasing the parents who called in was a big, was a big deal. And um, I still have a very close relationship with him to this day because he said I was not willing to throw out my moral compass. Is, you know, you learn the lessons of failure based off of failing, not off of com- continuing to let your son or daughter, you know, pass the buck just because you don't feel like somebody – out there should be out there just because they're black so it wasn't a, if they if, if i guarantee if those people would have called in and said well you know um your son just didn't play well enough and he didn't make the team it would have been one thing but because they brought up my color and because they brought up who i was it tells you it was more or less about they felt like i shouldn't be out there i didn't deserve to be there which i also find you know again to create another layer of context you didn't grow up in some area where lacrosse is new and everyone's figuring it out and their implicit bias that's already built on their living in America played a role. No, you grew up in a lacrosse hotbed where everybody plays lacrosse. Um, But the fact that the first time you're having that exposure or experience is on television when I'm pretty sure down the street there were kids playing at the park right (laughs) Right. Right. speaks volumes on how it was like this sport is only for a specific kind of person well yeah it's actually funny because after i watched the national championship game i all of a sudden walking up the street and then i saw people with lacrosse sticks so they probably had them the whole time i just never noticed it until i actually saw that game right and after that i started seeing lacrosse goals all around and now kids like i said i didn't They've had them probably their whole time, the whole time, but it was the first time I actually noticed that them that they were there. Um, but I, I mean, like I said, I, I didn't realize that I was growing up in like the hotbed of hotbeds at the time. 
for lacrosse. And I just said, wow, like, I guess I was late to the party. And, and I think to, again, like my issue with the context of that is if we make it about you, then it becomes, oh, um, I want to buy a green car. And then every time I step out the house, I notice green cars. But if we make it about the coaches and the, and the climate and, and the organizations and institutions that truly have the power, you know, then there was an intentionality to not bring you in. And I speak specifically to your situation because again, we're not talking about some kid who picked up a stick and we magically was good at the sport. You had proven yourself at other sports that you were a pure athlete in all these other areas. It never dawned on anybody that, Oh, if we put a stick in his hand, it would be good. Or if we put a hockey stick in his hand, he would be good. And that's why it feels almost like it makes me wonder, like, you know, did someone go, ah, you know, Joey's great, but he, he wouldn't want to do this. Right. I think parents want more for their kids than them. <laughs> yeah. Like the kid didn't want it as much, I think. And I got good quick. That's what happens. Like, you fall in love with something, you just go. You start playing, and you just love it. And you're finding different ways. You're seeing people play it, and they're better than you. And it's like, it's not even a matter of, I want to be better than them. It's like, how did they get that good? So your interest is, you're just consistently getting more and more curious. So, so with that said, um, you know, you had offers to play football just as much as you had to – well, you actually had more offers to play football than you did lacrosse, correct? At the time, um, it was kind of 50-50. Most people with lacrosse, they thought I was going to pick football anyway. So they actually didn't really show me that much interest, even though they knew I could play at a Division One level. Um, but there were a few schools that were like, we'd actually like you to try to play both. And I was like, well, I – from speaking with people who have done it, you don't have a life if you do both. And so for me, I was like, honestly, I got, is it going to be either or? So football was the one that got me into the door. Um, but as I started to play more lacrosse during the summer, I was seeing better talent and I was boogieing on them. And it was like, I, the teams I was on, we had some guys who ended up being all Americans in college, division one, division two, II, division three, but we were going to all these tournaments. A lot of these tournaments were playing up. So we could just see what we had against these kids. And we were winning the tournaments. And that's why actually a lot of coaches were, they were there to watch somebody else. And then I boogied on somebody, one of the guys, and we started getting a lot of our, you know, our, our, our help from that. So, I mean, initially, yeah, it was for football. But over the course of time, just the, the lacrosse aspect just kind of took off. And I think, I'm not sure a lot of people know, but like Syracuse was not your first choice. No. Actually, no. I I um I was completely against going to Syracuse University. Um, I've been on record to say that. I was a Terp. I was a Maryland Terp. I wanted to be a Terp. Um, you wanted to run around with Joe Walters. Yes, Joe Walters, my favorite player growing up, or one of the lefty attackman number one, just a bad boy. And he was from the court. He was from upstate New York. Um, and I just loved this game. But I also like the Maryland. I just love the Maryland tradition at that point in time. But, um, no, the, it came down to actually when Maryland, Coach Kyle, all those guys had called. But the conversation really, it, the, the decision for me came down to uh, North Carolina, uh, Chapel Hill, uh, or Syracuse. Um, just so happened 
the most interesting story behind that is that once upon a time, uh, my mother and father were at a lacrosse game watching me play. And we were playing against a team called Watertown IHC. Ironically, they were sitting next to each other. I don't know how, how away fans and home fans were sitting that close together. But anyway, um, somehow the conversation, they started talking. And uh, there was this kid named Ed Prevost who went from Watertown IHC and went to UNC. He was at UNC at the time, and his younger brother was playing on the team we were playing against. Um, anyway, conversation goes, they're asking. My mother's like, oh, my God, he, he, you know, he plays at UNC. And, uh, the, you know, he's, my son's looking at going there, whatever. Well, somehow the conversation starts going to where um, this mother, she just started explaining, well, we got to get up at – two o'clock in the morning we gotta drive through the night uh we get a hotel room uh we watch the game for two hours we gotta wake up we gotta drive straight from the field we gotta go we drive about six hours we rest and then we gotta be home by monday for work my mom was like that would be every game absolutely not well my mother up until i started i think it was like up until my senior year she'd never been to a lacrosse game she'd never seen me play she didn't know I was that good. She didn't know I was, like, good. And so I said, okay, because um, the two games she went to see me play, we lost both of them. The state championship game our junior year and my last, uh, my last high school game we lost. She said she wouldn't go. And, you know, she wouldn't go to any more games. Well, I said, well, my, I told her other decision was Syracuse. She was like, well, I, I was like, Ma, I want to go to UNC. Straight up, I want to go to UNC. She's like, uh. No, I was like, okay, well, if I go to Syracuse, you have to go to every game. I'll shake on it. You got to go to every game. Wow, that's quite a that's quite a, uh, a wager. <laughs> you got to go to every game. I'm like, if I'm going to do you a service by being this close to home, because I'm 20 minutes from home, if that. Right, yeah. Um, I said, well, just understand, I'll come home for laundry every once in a while for a cooked meal, but I'm going to be in college. I'm not going to be coming back here every two seconds. I'm going to be right. in college. Um, and she said, okay, ironically, before I made my decision, UNC's whole coaching staff got fired. Oh, so it was almost like, uh, we're going, we're going, we're going to Syracuse. Yeah. And after that, you said the rest is history, but yeah, I did not want to go to Syracuse at all. No intention of going to Syracuse. That's hilarious how that worked out. But I ended up living in North Carolina, so. Yeah, I mean that is a good point because you 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 know you you yeah you you still do that. So that's a okay. So talk to me about what was life like when you first walked on campus, Syracuse. I would I would think the transition is a little easier because, like you said, you're 20 minutes away from home. You're not some kid you know halfway across the country. You are. Uh, I mean, you're you're in a village. Nobody knows who you are. I mean, you and at that time you didn't get any of your like your tracksuit or any of your cool stuff yet. So like. Right. They can't distinguish, you know, they can't distinguish who you are. Um, they must, I, I'm sure you got a lot of, oh, are you new to the basketball team? Are you new to the football team? <laughs> yeah, like it was always like a football team or a basketball analogy. Um, but for me, again, nobody knows you because you're like, you're in a village. You know what yeah. I'm saying? There's 15,000 people there, but they're all students from all over the country. Um, now, granted, like local media knew who I was because I've obviously been, get on the news a number of times playing uh, local sports and stuff. 
But like when I was up there, I mean, nobody knows you. It's no distinction. That really came after my my sophomore years when you kind of started getting recognized, where people like, right, I know you. Like, yeah. I also think that it helps that um, you know, on the on the business side of sports, like Syracuse is not some program that um that isn't generating revenue, right? Like they're they're in terms of revenue generation, they're probably in the, they've got to be in like the top five, at least top 10 on campus where a lot of programs are just like, listen, the only reason we have lacrosse is because football allows it. <laughs> right. right, right. I mean, regardless of what you say about the football team, the football team still generates more in Syracuse, even though we are a basketball school um, mm-hmm. based on obviously how good our basketball team is consistently. Um, but we, but because I think one of the biggest draws for, for Syracuse recruits is the Carrier Dome. As we know, Facts. I, don't know if, I don't know if anybody's Facts. ever been to Syracuse. That Carrier Dome Syracuse, is no joke. Joke. And Syracuse is a college town. So when college yeah. is on and popping, it is the dope, one of the dopest campuses on planet Earth. But it also gets incredibly cold. Yeah. Like stupidly cold. And so. One of the perks of obviously playing or having those facilities is, well, at least when it gets to wintertime, you're playing indoors still. Facts. Even as cold as it gets up here. So, you know. It, I'd also like you not to undersell, like folks can't see you right now, but even though I'm looking at you, you got a pretty hefty piece of jewelry on your chain. And y'all uh, tend to keep those just like, those rings just like <laughs> hanging around, like, you know. Y'all carry a lot of weight when it comes to rings, brother. Like, let's let's also be clear that if nothing else, y'all got y'all got jewelry. Well, y'all got more jewelry than anybody else. Yeah, we we have and, national championships. Yeah, right, and ain't nobody close to you, right? Like, y'all are like the Lakers or the Yankees or even those damn Patriots. Like, you got more trophies than anybody else. I think uh, we we used to be good. That's kind of the problem. <laughs> I think. Uh, you can only live off legacy for so long. Uh, you know, Cuse hasn't won a national championship since my sophomore year at Syracuse in 09. Um, but, yeah, I guess you could say that. I think we more or less – it's more or less about the tradition at Syracuse as it is the rings now. We've been able to establish that legacy just based on the winning ways. But I think that, again, you unfortunately you, you have a bad class here or a good class there or something like that or – one class doesn't work out, and all of a sudden, you're unfortunately you're in a downward spiral for ten years. So, right. um, you know, for for us, yeah, it's been it's pretty cool to be a part of you know the richest legacy in, in lacrosse. But at the same time, it is kind of discouraging because we haven't really been to that level in a while. So, so talk to me for a second about the locker room, right? Because, like you said, you met, you went from a jump of you know playing with one or two black kids to ooh like now we're playing with four like that's 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 big numbers <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, and then we say that tongue-in-cheek but you know talk to me what's that like you know you're young you're a young college kid on campus um listen I, I can tell you firsthand as someone who got to who, who had the pleasure of enjoying watching you as a spectator way before we became friends like I remember that you were one of the first people that I remember being really pushed in terms of the cultural diversity component in lacrosse, right? I felt like after every game 
or in between the halftime of every game that I ever saw you play on, on whether it was regional or national television, there was always some sort of spot where we're talking about how Jovan Miller's changing the game and he's opening doors for young black athletes to get involved in lacrosse. And there was always an opportunity for whenever there was an opportunity, it was somebody was shoving a mic in front of you. I mean, quite frankly, using your blackness as capital as a cachet of capital to, to open up opportunity. So, so talk to me, what was it like to, to have that experience? Um, you get at, at the beginning, you're very uncomfortable with it only because for me, I just wanted to play. You know what I'm saying like, I just wanted to be a contributor and then you go from being a contributor to being a like primetime player. You're being seasoned to have more to say than just we had a good game or that somebody's saying like, you're my favorite player. I started playing because of you. And when you realize it's more than just the black the black player saying that, it starts to realize you start to realize that you're taking on a different a different light. I think that that was the getting a microphone in front of you is one thing. You used to joke about doing it all the time when you used to watch TV, watching kids when you're 15 or 16. You think you'd see yourself practicing it in the mirror, and then all of a sudden it's actually official. You come off, you got. You know, you got the eye black on after a game, and now that it's actually happening, it's in front of you, and you always think that you know what you're gonna say. But when the when the cultural part started really coming into fold, um, I'd already been exposed to it, but I knew that it wasn't enough to just play lacrosse. It was to be a symbol, you know, for a lot of people that were younger than me. Um, that you can have the the cultural aspect that you never forget. You can incorporate that in a successful way and still be, you know, one of the best players out there as well. So was it, I felt pressure at first, but my father used to always say that, you know, it's pressure if you're not prepared. So once I kind of felt, felt like it was my – it was just – it was one of my burdens to carry, I started to relax more and I understood my role and I understand, understood my power um, as, a, as a black lacrosse player. And I was going to say, like, I, I can imagine that your relationship with your father played a big role in your preparedness because, like, your father is no joke and his level of consciousness and awareness definitely influenced, you know, in your upbringing. And I could imagine that, like, your dad was probably giving you some pointers and saying, like, listen, don't let them them use you, you know what I mean, just because they're shoving a microphone in your face, you know, because I, I, I will say, like, even when I... I've done research and gone back and like those little um, halftime clips, you know, the, 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 the pre, the pre-produced ones. And it was always feeling like it was a fishing expedition to be like, let's get Jovi to talk about the importance of diversity or, or being right. a black player. I, it's kind of interesting because at that time, you're not thinking about the, the black side of things. I'm just trying, like I said, I'm trying to play, you know, I just wanted to contribute. Um, and then being able to say like, in my career, I missed one game. My first ever collegiate game, I had a concussion. I was recovering from a concussion. And every other game after that, I played. And I was a three-year starter. So being able to, like, look back on that, I was more concerned about the playing part. I didn't understand my power, like I said, until I got to about my sophomore year. Into my junior year, I realized my power. Um, realized just how um, significant my, my impact could be. Uh, but like I said, at first, you're more or less being seasoned to play. You're more uh, Again, my concern at first was to play. And then after a while, you start realizing that this is something bigger out there and that not everybody's story ends up like yours. 
and you should be able to speak on that because it's going to maybe help or save somebody else's life um, down down the road. So with that said, you're, you're coming into this awareness of power. How does that, how does that work with a coaching staff that's a little bit more traditional that has a little, um, a little bit more of an, of an old school mentality. And then you have teammates. I'm, I'm sure that those dynamics were, were interesting to say the least. Um, I've always spoke of my teammates in high regard. I've never really mentioned the, the dynamic of the coaching staff. Not that much. Not that I have a problem with them, but it was about being coached by them. I wasn't looking to any of them, for any of them to be a, a mentor of any sort, unless it was to help me be a better lacrosse player. We have a trust. The trust should be really about the game. And for me, I will say I put up some barriers on the coaches, but I more or less felt like they weren't trying to get to know me. And I, won't, I wouldn't say that to criticize and make them look bad, but I felt like the most important thing to them was obviously me on the field. So I kept it to the being on the field. Uh, but I think that the conversations and the relationships that I had with my teammates, uh, I say it like this. They knew just enough about me to feel comfortable, but not to overstep. (laughs) Facts. No, absolutely. And, you know, in that same regard, I've never heard a teammate publicly say anything bad about you. And it's and it's funny, right, because me and you have had tons of, you know, closed door conversations. But I think I've told you that, you know, specifically of two or three of your teammates that have had nothing but positives to say and have also in their own growth as coaches used their experience with you to better inform the teams that they now have an influence over as coaches. But I also know you said there had been a conversation really early on, right? At the beginning of my career. It was and it was like, look, um, I don't disrespect you. Don't disrespect me. And if you guys want to get to know more about me, ask. But just know that, like, everybody has my number. If you guys need anything, I'll pick you up where you're not supposed to be at some time. You know what I'm saying? If it's three, 3 o'clock on Erie and you got no business being there, like, call me. Um, it was the thing I wanted to make sure they knew that I had their back, but we were still different. I wasn't trying to use it as a gap between us, but they need to know that, like, we saw things differently and that, yeah, there were times where I was very uncomfortable on the team um, and that there were some some spots that they may have wanted me to be where I just had said to them, guys, like, I appreciate you and everything, but just know, like, you know, there's we're, we're different. We got some differences. You had referenced that, you know, there were parts of you that you felt may have had somewhat of a barrier up or you referred to it as yeah, somewhat yeah. of a gap. But do you feel like you did your part to go halfway and they didn't? I think I went more than half. I felt like I went 85 to their 15. And sometimes I felt like it was 95 to their five. Um, Okay. I I think that um, they had to understand. I I think the most important thing, again, was about being their teammate. Um, If you go through four years of school and you play a collegiate sport and the only friends that you have in your four years are your teammates, you did college wrong. That's my personal Facts. opinion. Facts. Uh, people might disagree with me. That's fine. But my personal opinion was like, I should not be condensed to the guys I see Monday through Saturday and sometimes Monday through Tuesday where, we, you know, where we're not supposed to be training on a day or something and going eight right. straight days and stuff. 
I think yeah, I think part yeah. of that is hard um, because when you go to school to either play sports, there's a demand, there's a rigor of a schedule that makes it difficult. Um, but but I would agree with you that if you if the only friends you made were on your team or in the athletic department, you 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 missed out on a lot. Yeah, you did. Um, and I just think that the education that you get from college is is not about the books that you learn from or syllabi or what anything like that it comes more down to the education you learn about yourself you learn you should learn more about yourself Super in that facts. four years that did you learn more about yourself in that four years than any other time now uh, it's not you're still gonna learn stuff after but that's like the core of who you are is like that four years that 18 to 22 is usually when you're like okay i like this i don't like that i like this i like that um, I'm cool with this, not really cool with that. Those decisions are start to they're, they're formulated when you're in the 18 to 22, which is why I, I believe that's why people are so encouraged to go to college. But I think they say for the education, I say, if we're talking education, education for me is in the, in, in the, from the field of your own understanding of yourself as opposed to just, like I said, a book or something like that. Right. Now, the, kind of going back for a second, the reason why I'd ask that question is because I've heard one of your teammates openly admit that in hindsight, they didn't do enough to connect with you. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the prime example that was brought up, you know, and I'll use this one because we've me and you have had conversations is that as an example, you know, teammates often hang out at social gatherings, they go to parties, they go to get togethers. And depending on, you know, your, your ethnicity or your socioeconomic standards, you might go to a very specific kind of party or a very specific kind of get together. And I've, I've had a teammate of yours, a prominent teammate admit that like Jovi would go to all of our parties. We never made a conscious effort to try to go to any of his because Jovi was still connected with the other African-Americans or the other black students on campus. And there was a plethora of organizations and, and social gatherings that they would put on and Jovi would go. And just as much as he went to ours, he would go to theirs. And we always did our best to invite him to ours because we never wanted him to feel left out. We never tried to be more involved on his side. Wow. Sure. Whoever that teammate is, he's my best. (laughs) <laughs> Let me stop. I'm playing. I'm playing. Um, well, I mean, you know exactly who I'm talking about, but, you know. <laughs> but, no, it's uh, – I think that there comes a point where you have to you have to make – you have to make your own comfort sometimes when you're in a locker room that you're unfamiliar with when it comes to just being the only black. But I learned that over the course of my career only because of how often I was the only black. So – when you get so used to it, I had that dynamic throughout my career. Well, from my high school career, once I transferred schools into college, where, like, there were, like, my teammates. And, of course, some of them were still my friends. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I would go to do all the stuff that they wanted me to go to with them for the most part. But then there was the other side. It was, like, my people, you know, black people. You know what I'm saying? Like, my dad always said, you know, not to lose touch with, you know what I mean? My, the culture. My people. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That that's right. not I don't feel like that's making me look like I'm um a separatist of some sort, you know what I'm saying, when it comes to, you know, a segregationist of sorts. But yeah, I, I mean I, I had friends that 
um, that one friend was an AKA. She introduced me to her her her, her boyfriend, who at the time, but uh, they obviously don't date anymore. But at the time, he was a cute. He's a cute dog. He's one of my best friends now. And it just slowly but surely, you kind of start to get yourself out there. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what sports do you play? Football? No. Basketball? No. Then it's like, well, what sport do you play? You like look like you work out. I'm like, I play lacrosse. Really? That other spring sport. Yeah. And then, and then, and yeah. then after a while, you're like, all right, well, uh, I'm hoping that this is like, am I deducting brownie points now? Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And over the course of that time, you're like, okay. I'm finding a niche. I'm finding my comfort. But again, I, I think that it was just important that they understood. That's why I said my everybody had my number, pick them up, do anything like that. Because at the end of the day, I did not want any of them to look at me in, in some regard to be like, well, he doesn't hang out with us. Because they really hate that idea that um, – and I have spoken to my teammates about this, is that um, the thing that, that's the thing that hurt me the most was that you guys were the center of the universe. So if I didn't go to your party, but you didn't come to mine, like, do I get to feel how you feel when I don't come to yours? Mm. And it was like, so I had to always find that, that, that medium between like, maybe I'm in my feelings or maybe am I making a valid point? I think that the thing that kept us kind of on the same page was our ability to win games and my ability to, to produce. And the thing that sucked about that was kind of, it, it seemed in part, it seemed a little bit um, more bandwagony because it was like, well, you know, Joby's one of the boys. Well, I mean, cause he, you know, he, he, he's one of, he makes a lot of plays, but we don't really know him. We don't know a lot about him. And it's like, well, I also don't feel comfortable enough to share me with you. So we're always going to be fighting that battle as well. Not to say that I was um, too bad. Not to say that I was unwilling, but I also wanted to feel like I had an invitation. Right, and I think I think part of that speaks to a level of vulnerability. And the last thing you want when trying to be vulnerable is for someone to undercut that or or try to remove out you, you know your your validation from that. So, I mean, I think that's important, you know. And I think kind of transitioning, you know one of the things that speaks to is, you know, like you said, you got four years, you know, you know, you're not going to spend all four years with every person, but you, but you get a, you get a significant amount of time where you guys do everything together. And then you're also graduating at the time that the, the first professional league for outdoor lacrosse is being formed. And now you have to find a way to create new relationships and those relationships have to happen fast. Right. Because you don't spend every waking second together. And I can only imagine how difficult that was. I hated the pros. (laughs) I hate the pros. I did. I hated the pros. Joey, Uh, Joey, hold up for real though. Like, tell me how you really feel, man. Don't hold back. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't, Um, I need you to be more, I need you to be more direct. (laughs) No, the pros were awesome. And I had every, I enjoyed it. So nah, man, uh, I hated that. Um, I hated that you were rushing. I don't, I don't like when people, when you were making somebody making the claim of brotherhood or anything along those lines. With a dude, you only see twice, twice a week. (laughs) We're talking about about 48 hours and of the 48 hours, you're going to sleep eight of those on each day. So 16 Although, so you're just deducting the time off of how much you actually see the, the, your teammates. 
it was a hard parallel for me to find. And so with that being said, I just felt like, like, this is all about going out. We Okay, so we go out there. We, we I have to leave work early Friday, go to the airport, fly out, get off, jet lag legs, practice, back hotel, sleep, breakfast, up, walk through Saturday morning, back to the hotel. Everybody would take their nap or do whatever their, uh, you know, um, rituals were. Game. Everybody, some people go out to party. I go to sleep. We had the airport by you know, Sunday morning. You, you had the airport by 5 o'clock in the morning. You fly back to wherever. I'm on the couch watching Netflix by the time we get to, like, noon. And I'm sore as heck. Right. That's that. I mean, I don't know in between that time you said there's brotherhood, especially when most of that you're doing something that involves, like, either rest, eating, or practice or game. So, like, there's not that many hours in there that it's like that connection. So for me, I hated that about the pros because I also felt like that's the way I owned, or at least I earned my um, my teammates' trust was the ability to be around me long periods of time because over the course of games, I might have a game where I'm where I'm slaying. If I'm having a game where I'm slaying, then I feel like those are the times where I really wanted to talk, where I wa- I wanted that trust. I couldn't really establish that trust in the pros because you literally were going out there lame duck most of the time. And right. I just thought the pros. And it's, I think it also speaks to like, you're not, you're not one for superficial bonds. So no. I think what happens is like guys who, who don't necessarily need the level of um, in-depth connection, then they, what they do is they just go, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to take the little, the, the, the few nonverbal cues that I have and go, that's a nice guy or that's someone I would want to pal around with. And just because you don't have a smile on your face every moment of the day doesn't mean that you're not in a good mood. Right? Like, I can, it's easy to perceive you as an angry black man because you're not placating to somebody else's right. comfort right. based on oh. your nonverbal cues. One thousand percent. But the, yeah, but you know, you learn that over the course of, of, of time. You learn somebody's social cues by being around them a lot. They didn't know my social cues because I didn't allow them to. <laughs> like, I just felt so like about the business of lacrosse with them because I never felt like I could just let my guard down with them. Um, now, do I regret it? Well, I guess. I mean, but I felt like it was business as usual. So it was like stick to the game. Stick to the, stick to being a good teammate, and not worry too much about being misunderstood. But there might be some times where I did get upset, and I just felt like it was time for people to just understand me. Got you. I also think that it plays a role that you came into the pros um, at a really interesting time period, right? Um, and I, I use even like hip hop as almost like a parallel to 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 kind of marry the two ideas. Um, late '90s hip hop is conceived as this new fad that's taken off, but then when you move into early 2000s to mid 2000s, what's also happening is there's a monetization, and 
when people realize I can make money off this thing, well, then you want people around you who are willing to, for lack of a better term, play the game, right? And the truth of the matter is, Jovi, like you've never had a, a, a disposition that says, I'm just here to play the game, right? Like you, this matters to you. Like the purity, the sanctity of the game matters to you, right? You want the game played in, a, in an honorable space in an honorable way. And I think that it, it ultimately led to some friction with even other players in the pro space because in an attempt to market or brand themselves as the cool guy on the block, it meant that they thought they could do some things that, quite frankly, were disrespectful. One of the things that comes to mind, which was one of your first um, foyers into the political space, was the whole Hey Ninja. Help us, guys. Let me bring this up, though. Yeah. Um, you know what I was saying before about Sorry, I said it cor- incorrectly. It was Ninja Please. Ninja Please. That's what it was. It was Ninja Please. That was where the whole, like, your line is of, I'm, I'm cool with you enough to be comfortable with you, but, like, don't try me. And you tried me. Right. That was, that's how I took that. I mean, I feel like the only reason why that was even able to happen was because of the state of the game. Right. And, and, and again, I think it's because, you know, in an attempt to be the, you know, to be cool, to be fashionable, to be marketable, we're willing to blur some lines, you know, because we think it'll help us ingratiate ourselves to more, more culture. And, sure. and the only reason I think it's important to bring back up, you know, I know that you try to it was no, in the past. Just leave it there. <laughs> but, but the reason why I think it's important is because when people see you as this outspoken, unapologetic black person now, they need to know, yo, there's a level of consistency with the energy here that's been here the entire time. You just started paying attention. But Jovan Miller has always been this unapologetic, outspoken and not here for the nonsense. And I think that's an important thing for people to recognize. Like you're not new to this. You've been exactly who you've been the entire time. Um, I think it would be self-serving to say, like, yeah, man, I've always been about it. But, like, at the same time, it's like I, I know that it, was, it wasn't about me. I felt, like, I felt like I had to say something. And like I said, being a teacher now, you have, there are some things where you must at some point in time address. If I don't say something now, then it's a, it's going to be a downhill. Like, it's going to go downhill. Now everything's going to be okay. The, it'll right. never stop. Like, like it'll, you're just going to get more and more disrespected if there's not a staunch line that is, is, is you know, written in the sand or whatever and say, this Fast. is where I'm, I'm going to stand here. And it's not about, it, it, like, granted, now I'm the one who said something out loud but at the end of the day, it was like, it wasn't about it. Now, granted, I'm going to, I'm the name that's attached to that uh, particular campaign. But the big picture was, it was about all the kids that came after. This cannot be okay. If you're calling your game more diverse, if you're trying to call your game more diverse, if you're trying to get more people involved um, that are from, you know, from non-traditional areas, that can't be Okay. And that's what I felt like I was representing. And I, and I firmly agree with you. I do have to ask, though, because 
I know you said that, you know, you don't want to make it about you, but I do have a personal question because I think in, in, the, in that same vein, like there was a lot of marketing. There was a lot of branding early on around pushing the diversity component of lacrosse, you know, by the, by the powers that be right. And I, and I, and I, I say that with full understanding that when you're in college, you don't have a lot of control of your likeness and image, at least at the time, right? Like this was way before Ed O'Bannon's lawsuit and all that stuff. And when you're, when you're kind of young, you know, coaches are kind of like, listen, you're going to, we need you to do this. And you kind of just do, you know, what they ask you to do, of course, within reason. But I, but, but I, I can imagine to some degree feeling a level of disconnect that they have no problem using your lateness and your face and your, and your audio and your skill as a proponent of diversity and inclusion and see, this is why we need, you know, to get black kids playing lacrosse because there's going to be another Jovan Miller we need to go get. Um, but at the same time, they're undercutting that message with actions of, of embracing, like you said, that, that too comfortable space. I, yeah, I've never been a, a huge fan of somebody pushing the line. I don't like that. Um, I, I I get it. When, when I tell you that we're cool, it doesn't mean, like, test how cool we are. <laughs> we're cool. We're good. Right. We're straight. Like, right. like, like, I don't have a problem with you. You're a good person. Um, I hope you think the same of me. And let's just move on from there. Um, but the fact that I always felt like people were kind of trying to push that envelope, it was like, listen – like, I love you and everything, but, like... Don't like, do I'll that. Like, I, yeah, like, I'll, like, I'll, like, I'm willing to... I'm willing to get uncomfortable with you. And the thing, like, for me was always, like... It was always, like, the talking points of, like, why? Being able to ask people why, and I need you to give me an answer. Why is that okay? Why, you know... Okay, so now you got liquid courage. Why are you asking me this now? Why don't you ask me when, like, you know, we got practice on Monday or, you know, before practice on Monday? So, like, there were things like that where I don't like when people test the temperature with me because it's not – like, why are you testing the temperature with me? Are you trying to get a reaction out of me or are you trying to get to know me better? I always felt like people would, like, would do stuff like that for the sake of trying to get, get a rise out of me and not try to understand me. So, like, again, if you are one of those people, and, and, and people might look at, look at that as, like, really controversial, okay, like, more power to you, dog. Like, if you don't, you know what I mean, if you don't yeah. want to draw a line with your teammates, that's on you. Um, you know, that'd be the same thing for a homosexual um, in, a, in, a, in a locker room. People saying, you know, um, homophobic r- remarks or anything like that. Right. If you, don't, if you don't set that straight, then that's on you. But, like, for me, I, I just felt like I could earn, I, I earned their respect to the point where I didn't want it to ever be an issue where I felt disrespected because of my color or that you guys felt like it was okay to say this because of that. I don't test people like that. No, that's real, man. Bas- that's basic golden rule stuff right there. Like I said, um, it's bad enough you play lacrosse. I hate to say that. It's bad enough sometimes I play lacrosse because it's like there ain't, like, five people out there for the next three games, I'm going to count five black people in the next five games, okay, on, on teams. Okay, that's already bad enough. So I already feel black as it is. And then all of a sudden you're going to say something that's going to completely make me feel uncomfortable. No. So I felt like, yeah, no. Have I had to check teammates? Of course. But 
like I said, to each his own. If you don't want to be that person, you want to look that way, cool. That's on you. Uh, but me, I wasn't cool with that, dog. Like, I, I just, I wasn't going to let anybody talk to me um, or disrespect me in any other kind of way. So that was me. So kind of moving into the later stages and, and kind of where you are now, right? Um, it's weird, right? Because of the, the nature of the professional league that you were originally in, you know, I think it kind of misrepresents your career because, you know, I think you were on what, four different teams. Um, I know, I know Ohio, um, you did a season with the launch, I believe you did yeah. a few seasons with the hounds. Uh, I don't remember if you ever made it out West, right? Like, cause you were still part of that early crew with like the dragons and the riptide, but I don't think you ever no, played. I was, I was right after those teams went under. Yeah. yeah. So, so just launch hounds in Ohio machine. Uh, no. So I played, uh, got drafted by the Rattlers. Right. I That's with, who I was yeah, forgetting. Yeah. Rattlers, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then the rest, yeah. Hounds, then, uh, Ohio. Let me see. Ohio, Florida and the Bayhawks just for like a few games before I got ultimately traded for good to another. Okay. Team. So yeah, man. Okay. And, and I think, you know, that misrepresents your c- career as a pro because a lot of that wasn't about talent. That was about, right. like, there was a lot of business stuff going on. And, like, For sure. that that league has been hanging on by, like, a string of freaking tooth floss <laughs> for right. over a decade now. Right. So I think right. a lot of those moves were, were not based on talent or need. They were just based off, we got assets, and we, we're just trying to move them around to keep, to keep people afloat. But, right. but if you could share a little bit about your experiences in those, in that league um, and more so like, again, like experience with the teammates and, and, and chemistry. Um, it was very similar. Like I think my most successful stint was my second year in the league. I was in, um, I was in Charlotte, but yeah, I had moved to Charlotte. I didn't have to worry about the, the flights anymore. Well, for home games, at least. So like, right. Now, I still reside in Charlotte now. Like, I, I found my, like, my – I found my home. But – Okay. Was really big on – the. I just felt like those locker rooms, they suck because every pro player that's ever played knows that there's three waves in Major League Lacrosse. The first wave is the first four games of the season where whoever can make the roster makes the roster. Okay. Then the second wave are all the NLL guys, their seasons end. Then the third wave is the college kids come. By the time you get to, like, week 10, your team looks completely different. I hated that. I absolutely hated that. Um, Because if you're talking about trying to build a fan base, for example, how can you identify when every two seconds you're getting a a different team? Right. It just makes no sense from a marketing standpoint. The guy was wearing number seven. His name goes from Miller to Henningberg or whoever. And then all of a sudden, we're back to square one. Where it's like, all right, well, he was my favorite player. Now I got to get a new player. And then it was on top of that where it's like, okay, if we're trying to stay afloat just based on, you know, the the players that you – you add or, or or whatever. Now it's like, well, are we going to keep this guy or no? Are we going to expand the league or no? Like there's all these financial things that you're making decisions on 
in the in the midst of trying to keep a league up, league together, and you just it's just not fun, man. It just sucks. Do Do you think? Um, I mean, I, I I'm not trying to make a scapegoat out of it, but like, do you think be you being black played any role in that? No, I think me being. I mean, well, Ninja Police did did me no favors. Ninja Police did me no favors. Um, right. Because now I'm difficult. I had never heard that before until after Ninja Police. Okay, and so now I need to ask I need to ask one small follow up before you continue because and I asked this question now and I've never asked you in private, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna shoot my shot right now. Do you think that stopped you from playing on any of the national teams? Because I've never understood why you never played Team USA. Well, to be honest with you. By the time it was time for USA tryouts, because they asked me, to, they did ask me to try out. Okay. I wasn't interested. I was not interested in playing anymore based on the amount of backlash I got from Ninja Police. Got it. I just I declined. I was like, I'm like, I'm good, because it was just like, now from what I understand too, is that like the coaches at the time had already said that they knew who they wanted to pick. My thing was, well, shoot, if you know you're gonna pick already. I ain't going up there. Why? To I'm reinforce sorry, false narratives. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't want because <laughs> because you let you let them tell it, it's like oh he doesn't want to represent his country. Nah. By that time, my reputation was sullied. Nobody wanted to quote unquote deal with me. So I was like, why? I'm not going to get a fair shot up here. Not throwing the towel. Not just right. I mean. Ninja Please, honestly, I will say was the beginning and end of my career. I, I will straight up say because I didn't care anymore about playing. And I love playing, but I just didn't care anymore. Wow. That's that's hey, pretty heavy, bro. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't – I stole money the last two years of my career. That was like – what you saw was me – that's what I look like when I'm like uncommitted and I was still good. Like if I actually cared, right? I would. I still be playing right now if I cared. I'm not walking down that road again with you because you know how <laughs> I feel about that, I know, and I know. you know, which is weird because aren't you still under contract? Yeah. Right. I for, for as of <laughs> as of as, well, is it a multi-year deal? So like, are you under contract after this? Championship series is over? Yeah, so my contract runs out February 2021. Okay. If I wanted to re-up, re I'd have to wait till after them. But Okay. But by then, the younger kids will already take my spot. So I don't right. really – even though I still cook them. But, like, I already know. Like, I know how the league works. Would you I'm a blast in the past. Would you consider going back to the old league? No. Absolutely okay. not. They're terrible. Right. <laughs> okay. I, I just wanted that on record. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted that on They're record. Terrible. No, I'm good. Would it would it be fair to say though, like the new league is is has made some strides to be a little better in, in this space? Um I mean, Listen, no one's perfect. Hard. No no one's perfect, but it seems to be like there's at least an identifiable there, there's um, there's something there's something palpable in the air that says we acknowledge that there are some issues, 
we don't have all the answers, but we're aware of them and we're willing to figure right. it out. Um, I mean, I think that from just the business side of things, they've done things so much better than the MLL. It's just how they got there. It's kind right. of the, the, the issue, I think, with most of lacrosse, you know. You have right. one league and then all the best players from one league leave that league to go to another league. Like, it looks bad. Like, I get it. Um, yeah. But as far as can we are we getting it right? I mean, I think from a from a pure lacrosse standpoint, yeah, because it's faster. Uh, the shot clock makes it so much fun. Um, the players get after it, but I think it's a bunch of fake tough guys. So that's what kind of takes away from the beauty. Dudes swear they hard. Okay, but do you, but do you think that? this league is doing a better job at least acknowledging that they got blind spots in certain areas. And, oh, yeah. Okay. For sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, yeah. Um, and so so part yeah. of the reason why I asked that, um, and, I, and I would love to hear you expound on it, is because you've been noted on record as saying, like, as much as you love this game, you don't feel like in good conscience you could tell – somebody's young kid in the youth level, you should play lacrosse or you don't, we wouldn't feel comfortable telling uh, someone's parent, Hey, you should get your daughter or your son enrolled uh, to play lacrosse. I would always tell them to play the game. You have to, when you tell a kid to play the game, you're telling them to play the game. The problem is, is that unfortunately based on experience and based off of like the optics of how the game works and based on like somebody's experience, it's going to be unique as a person of color in the game. So you're not just telling them to go enjoy playing lacrosse. You got to tell them there's going to be some things that you have to deal with too that are not related to their, you know, white teammates. So like somebody might say something under their breath. Somebody might say something disrespectful. Somebody might like, those are things that are not typical for normal kids to start playing lacrosse. Um, And it's so important when it comes to, um, your leadership in regard in, in that regard because if a kid is not having fun based on a parent's inability or, or a coach's inability to make it a safe haven for their child, especially a kid of color, you failed as a coach. So like I feel like yeah I, I, I'm reluctant if you're not going to really, Explain to them, or if you can't, if your coaches cannot make it a safe haven for all, no judgment calls and anything like that based off of, like, maybe a kid not being as good or something like that, if you can't make it a safe haven, it's even worse for a black kid or a kid of color in the the sport. And so if you can't guarantee that, then, yeah, I'll always be somewhat uh, reluctant to encourage the game of lacrosse. But as far as the actual game, of course – and so I think I think what matters about what you're saying, you know, th- there might be someone out there listening who goes, well, you know, what does that even really mean? Um, you know, you're just really there to enjoy the game. And I think it's because you're using perception that you've been given from like baseball or football um, or you could even go as far as say basketball. Right. Because I think what's happened is over the last, let's call it 100 years. And I think what people don't understand is like when you've done something for over a hundred years, you've you've ingrained yourself into mainstream culture in a way that lacrosse hasn't yet. So so one of the things that I tell my students or I tell my players is don't just practice, learn like immerse yourself in the culture. 
Emerge, don't just immerse yourself in X's and O's and where to slide and how to be, but get to know the, the, the players and get to know the personalities behind the players, okay. right? And when right. you play baseball, you know, and you and you get to know Ken Griffey Jr. as the cool guy who who can steal home, or you know what I mean, or you get to you get to know Joe Montana or Jerry Rice or 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 you know Ray Lewis, you get to know them as a personality, and those be, those people become ingrained in your culture, right? right? If you get to know Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan has now ingrained himself in the culture, you know, and, and basketball is one of the fastest sports to do that in a way that lacrosse hasn't done yet. And I think what you're referring to is that any kid can go out there and snipe corners and, and learn to pick up ground balls and make behind the back passes. But when, once they start ingraining themselves into the culture, they might recognize that they're not being um, reflected, represented, or even accepted. The sad part about it is that I think a lot of my teammates, well, when I really started to learn this unfortunate tale, it's the thing that I think that kids need to know earlier. It's not meant to be negative, but it's just real. Um, when you're on a field and the, your ability to play really well, it seems like you're more there. It's easier to gravitate towards you because of your ability to play well, as opposed to seeing you the person. So there's a lot of, confusing times for kids especially adolescent kids because you know you're you're still learning yourself right you're trying on hacks of who you are well if the only thing you know about me is well he's the fastest kid on the team he's got a really good on the run shot and uh you know he's he's one of the best players out there if the only thing you can do is identify with my ability on the field that's a problem you're not looking at me, the person, not knowing that that's what I really want to get the conversations rolling with is more or less do when I ask, do you see me? I mean, do you see me, the man, do you see me like the, the you know, the, so if I was growing up playing the game, do you see me, the boy, like, do you understand that there might be a little bit of a disconnect because I'm the only black kid on this team? Make sure that I feel comfortable things along that, you know, along those lines. I think you've said, you know, in other conversations, like there were certain issues that you probably didn't even learn until either your senior year or until after you graduated. Um, And the reason why they were never addressed when you were in the in the thick of it in college was because you were winning. And when you're winning, like no one no one cares about what your politics are. We're just happy the fact that we're going to national championship or at least the final four every year. We got no reason to complain because we're winning. I guess you could say sometimes there. There is that correlation of, of that, you know, when they talk, when I hate to use this analogy, but it's, I think it's relevant, but, you know, when there's a sexual assault case or something like that, where people will give a woman, you know, whoever a hard time and be like, why don't you say something earlier? Well, under circumstances, when you're not, when you feel like you're not going to be believed, that will stop you from talking. That will make you less relevant it'll make you you know um less believable um in lacrosse it was weird like for me and the stuff that i was like when i want when i want to say something like i said we were winning so why so i didn't want to say anything because i felt like it would it would rock the boat yeah it would rock the boat even though everything was happening that i was feeling was true me saying something in that moment now is like a distraction 
the problem is, is that that shouldn't be a distraction. But because of my team, because some teammates or maybe some coaches, whatever, did not make it feel like that was their the core. The core importance is that every player felt like someone. That was stuff that I said, hey, you know what? Like, this is bothering me, but I'm also playing. See, players like that, when you have an issue like that too, you run the risk of possibly losing playing time because now it looks like you're just trying to make, you know, you're trying to make a, a, a rust, or make a big fuss out of nothing. Right. You know, you're just trying to make ruffles for no, for no reason. And that in itself is an issue because, like I said, the, I hate to use the example, but, you know, sexual assault cases, somebody will be like, well, it happened 10 years ago. Why are you bringing it up now? Or somebody being like, oh, they just try to make stuff up to get, you know, for optics sake. That's really, really dangerous when it comes to anything. And the lacrosse is very difficult. That's one of the most difficult things to kind of cope with in the game. Right. Is that right there? So I think this is a great time to kind of transition um, kind of more into your present. So, you know, one of the things that you've been really um, – uh, you've been vocal about quite a bit and it's created this new space for you, which I think is beautiful, um, is your, uh, I hope I pronounced it correctly because I always feel like I say it right in my head, but I don't say it right out loud. Uh, lack, lax, laxtivism. Hey, right? Lacrosse activism, laxtivism. Hey, um, uh-huh. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the tragedy of Mr. George Floyd in Minnesota seem to have brought new, I'm going to use air quotes, allies <laughs> to the <laughs> forefront of this movement of like equality and progressive uh, behavior. And right. you have been very vigilant and, and you've been definitely making sure that folks are coming in the right way. Um, you've been also very informative in your education. Um, you've got your YouTube going. Right. You know, so let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I think my biggest fear with stuff like this, conversations like this, is about how serious you are about whatever the issue is when you're new to it. So, like, there are people who go, like, for example, there are people who, who worked for civil rights for 50 years. They're about like they've been doing it 50 years. Right. They get so good at it or they're so in, indebted to it to the point where it literally consumes their life. They end up making a, a living of it, whatever. I'm not saying that anybody that people should do that, but they have to understand the responsibility that comes with being an activist. And you want to make sure that those who co-sign or choose to be a part of a bigger movement kind of thing are actually in it to learn and to like be a part of the, the quote unquote fight, you know, to be, to, to not only just be like, yeah, I'm here to support, but know what you're talking about in the mean, you know, in, in, so if someone was to ask you, what are you doing to, to help? You should have an answer or like, are you learning more? Are you, did you sign a petition? Like, if you're not doing those things, for the newcomers at least, you can educate them on how you know how to get more informed. Uh, but my thing a lot, like what laxivism was, 
finding a way to to engage with the people who are unfamiliar in a way that they didn't feel like they were being attacked. It sucked that it had to come out the way it did because at the end of the day, history is history. Whether it's taught aggressively or freaking, you know, in a monotone voice and somebody falls asleep, it's still the truth. What happened is happened. Um, I have a gift to be able to galvanize and get people to pay attention to me. I understand that. It's one of my gifts my father gave me. I understand I have presence and I use that through these, these lessons. All I teach is pretty much black history that they didn't put in an American textbook when you go to school. Nice. And that's just a way to keep people engaged with, wow, like I didn't realize, you know, blacks did this, or I didn't realize that Irish people were freaking slaves. You know, you say indentured servants, but like they were living like slaves for X amount of time. When you break that kind of stuff down to people, it just gives you a wider perspective of like, wow, this has been an issue for a long time. But the most important thing about the idea of activism is, like I said, to make sure that people are serious about it, that it's not a fad, that you don't do it because it's popular. Um, and that's like the hardest thing to try to decipher is people's allegiance. Are we talking, are you, re are you really about the change that you really want to see, or are you doing it because it's, it's convenient? Everybody's doing it. Everybody's trendy. smiling photo ops. It's trendy. So if you're in it for that reason, I honestly see no function for you in the fight for quote unquote equality, whatever. And I'm that's one thing I won't I won't call out a lot of people publicly, but I will I will speak I will speak generically and hopefully those people that may feel that guilt come out of hiding and say yeah, you know what? He has a point. Like I did, I was one of those people. That's what I try to do. Um, so is it successful? Sometimes, yeah. Um, other times, hmm. well, I think what's really impactful about what you're doing is that on one side of it, you know, like I said in the beginning of this, you know, I I hyperbolically say that you are Lacrosse's Colin Kaepernick because when that whole Ninja Please thing went down you said, I'm going to stand up for what I know is right. And I'm going to speak, I'm going to, I'm going to unapologetically speak my truth. And if you don't like it, then so what? And you, I'm absolutely positive that you did that full, fully knowing that there was going to be some resistance, that there was going to be some backlash. Sure. And I think it speaks furthermore that now you're at a, you're at a point in a position where I mean, quite frankly, you don't have nothing to lose. So why, what's the point of being quiet now? Right. Um, and I think there are a lot of players who, who feel like they're scared because on one hand, some of them have the capital. They don't know how to spend it. Right. They don't, they don't. And then some of them don't believe in themselves enough, you know, and, and I'm not here to say that that's wrong. Like we all have whatever levels of personal insecurity, but I do believe there's some players who are just like, I don't know if I don't know if I should speak up because I don't know if I'm in a in the perfect position to say or do anything that can make a difference. And that that's concerning on its own because no one yeah. wants no one should expect anyone to be perfect, right? We just want you to say something, right? And you may not get it right, you may trip over yourself, but the fact that you're at least trying to make a, a, a decent effort, you know, I think I, I think means takes takes some guts. I, I think um, if you have to ask yourself, what's the least I can do 
and get the most in return. If you have to ask yourself that question, you shouldn't be a part of activism. Right. I think that you should not participate because um, it's not a look at me award. It's not something where you just say, well, I did my part. Like, I hate to use this example, but like, okay, like voting. Okay, you go on there and you vote one time. You did do your part. It doesn't feel like it because you didn't want, you know, you did and you leave. But it's like it's I, a I sticker. You do, you, did, you do get a sticker. Because <laughs> you know, I voted, right? You're gonna take a freaking IG picture with it. You know what I mean? I'm making you a difference. But like, I think, I think players. If you, some people think too think it through too hard. I think that that's one of my biggest issues. Is like people think so hard on it, like. I got to say the perfect thing. It's like, you don't though. Like you, you need to be, but it's like, you need to be honest. I think um, when they talk about when, with a, anybody who's a recovering addict, they say like the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. Right. If you don't know what to say, admitting that you don't know what to say is not a bad thing. Right. But when, but when you fabricate this idea, like I know how you feel and try to make it seem, try to like, again, if I'm drowning and you just you try to jump in the water with me, that's not really helping either of us. Right. But if you but asking like why am I you know how did I end up drowning and then throwing me in you know um, a loop to save me in the process or just empathize that's the difference between like sympathizing empathizing. But if you don't know what to say and you're confused as to what to say, I feel like at the end of the day you're overthinking it. If you see something that's like wow. He had a knee on his neck. That's wrong. I don't think it's that bad for you to be like, that was wrong what I just saw. Like that, I mean, that's, that's a good start to just, what'd you see? That happened. Okay. But I think some people, some athletes in particular, they start really, they start getting themselves in more trouble because when somebody asks you, like somebody asks them, do you support this? And then they're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden it goes to like, well, are you, what are you doing to help? Well, I went, well, I, I said, you know, I, well, I posted Blackout Tuesday. It's like, no, like, have you been to any rallies? Have you done, you know what I mean? Have you been to any initiative? Have you heard anything in regard to like, those are things you build up to. And if, you, if you're not doing those things, then it comes off as disingenuous. And that's the one thing you don't want to look like in activism. Yeah, and I agree. And I, and I was going to say that like, instead of focusing on trying to be perfect, what we need folks to do is to focus on being authentic. Right. And, and if you, and even if that means being honest to say, you know what, I've never had this experience or I don't know what this looks like, but I do want to at least share uh, some empathy, you know, and human and just on a human level with those who I know or acknowledge are experiencing certain things. Even that small statement can go a long way as opposed to trying to fake it. Like you've been, you about this black Panther life when that's not who you really are. Like no one wants you to be who you think we want you to be. We want you to be authentically you. So, so the last thing I want to ask you about the, about that, right. Was, is around the blackout Tuesday. Um, because I do know um, that there have there has been some um, issues around p- folks in specifically in the cro- lacrosse community. I'm not going to mention any names or any organizations, but there have been we've seen sightings of players who posted on Blackout Tuesday because 
quite frankly, it was trendy. It was a trending thing. But we know we know that their stances are not in alliance with what Blackout Tuesday was supposed to be for. How do you personally marry marry these two ideas of I'm going to post this thing on Tuesday, but this is how I really feel. This is how I really operate my everyday life. If you have conflicting ideas like that, don't say anything. Now, granted, they say silence is violence. I, do I agree with that to an extent? Yeah. But at the same time, you could just technically say, I didn't know what to say. And I, can, and I guess I can rock with that more than you calling yourself supporting, but then being like, well, I don't support, but, but I don't get this, this, and this as a part of the same thing. Right. That just comes off as, it just comes off as, it's messy. It's very messy. Because now you're getting called out for things that initially we didn't even know on the radar. And now all of a sudden you're like picking out these parts. So if you don't support something, then you should probably know all the shortcomings of what, if there are shortcomings of the movement or that movement, whatever you support, you should know that prior to agreeing to be one of those people. What I believe in the game of lacrosse is that a lot of people saw that again, as a, What's the least I can do and get the most in return? And that's how we got here with a lot of these players that I have a problem with. And I have a problem with them because um, you, you're you telling me in, some, in, in so many cases that your pictures with people of color, black people, you're, you're taking pictures with us as a photo opportunity, as opposed to actually understanding the plight. That not everybody's built the same way as you, or not everybody comes from the same background as you. That's kind of supposed to be a part of your job as an adult, is to understand that there is different, but you don't do it at the cost of making yourself feel and or look better. You're doing it, if you're doing it to make yourself feel better about your own guilt, you should not be participating. If you're one of those people that says, well, I mean, I don't, I need to know more. That's the great start. So that's you admitting, I don't know everything. I need to learn more. If by the end of you make those, if by the end of getting all that information, you say, hey, you know what? Like, that's probably not for me. Again, you not posting anything on IG doesn't get you in trouble. It's when you have, it's when somebody can go back and check your timeline and just see picture after picture after picture with black people with little kids and everything, or or whatever you're supporting, and you can see a direct hypocrisy in your mouth and things that come out your mouth or what's in your heart. So after a while, that's where my problem with players, that's my problem with people comes in. If you're not asking me what my plot is or what my situation is, then I'm feeling like when you post that black on Tuesday, you check the box, be straight, we good. Right. So the last thing I would ask as a kind of like a small follow-up to that is, you know, you've, you've garnered a lot more attention and we could even say like positive attention, (laughs) right. Um, in the last few months, because now people are like, Oh crap, Jovi was right the whole time. (laughs) Right. And you're, and you're standing on this side of history, (laughs) right? Like, you y'all know I've been standing here in 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 the right for a long time now. How do you how do you personally handle 
you know, the fact that now people are willing to, now people are running to you like, Jovi, we need the answers. Jovi, can, can you give us the cheat code? Like, <laughs> um, okay. Well, if I have a, I use this analogy, it makes, it, it makes perfect sense. But if, if I have a cookout that starts at one, but it's a 24 hour cookout, and you show up at seven. I can't be mad at you for being late to the party because I said it was all twenty four hours. I'm just happy you're here. Right. But when you get here, okay, you can't be arguing with you know, no. You're on your phone the whole time in the corner. Um, you you, you got a plate. You complain about the ribs. You hate the chicken. And you got a bad attitude on top of all that. Why'd you come to the party then? Right. Why are you here? Right. So, so, I just say that if you're gonna be, one, if you're one of those people that have, quote unquote, seen the light, then just understand that like you don't know everything, and please listen, just listen, like just be attentive. You understand? You, I mean, again, the step to the first step is you admitting that like, man, I was wrong or whatever. Okay, and I'm not mad at you about that, but then don't give all. Don't give attitude or excuses for like, well, this, what about this, this, and this? That means like, again, you weren't, you weren't trying to hear me from the beginning. It was right. more or less a, a, a matter of as opposed to understanding. Facts. Super facts. So and I think that's a perfect segue into our last little um, component here. And, you know, one of the things I've been trying to, to push in this space is like, listen, like none of us are going to have the magic bullet. No one, none of us are going to fix all of the problems in this space with one thing, but we all have a certain sphere of influence, whether it's just on your club team or your high school team or your D one team, or if you're a player with, with a, with a few million followers, you've definitely said, you know, one of the things that you can do is just stop, and listen, acknowledge and listen. What what are maybe one, maybe two other things that an individual can do that can help make this better? Cause because I think I think if we become more solution oriented, even if it's just in our one-on-one dealings, that we 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 can do better. So what are what are one or two things you think? Um to me, I think the biggest one is to ask. We have so many people as a teacher myself, like there literally is no such thing as a bad question. The only bad question is the one you don't ask. So you have to be willing to ask a question. I feel like that's the most important thing. I think people look at it as a bit there. They get embarrassed by asking certain things because they just didn't know. That's not a bad thing to admit that you didn't know something. That's the whole point of raising your hand and asking a question in class as ask a question to learn something. So if you go into it with the mindset of I don't know everything and I'm willing to learn something and ask questions, that's to me asking a question. Then, of course, like I said, once, once you get there, now it's ability to learn and, like, understand exactly why things are the way they are. And then I think the third thing would be to act. Are there initiatives that I can join? Are there things that I can get a part, be a part of that are productive, that get on the same wavelength without being, without being, um, without, without taking away from something's power? 
like being associated with one thing, but also it's a bad look because of this person or whatever. Having the having the full capacity to be for positive, good uh, change is so important. So once you've like asked the question, you've learned. The next part is to act. Have something already set, or have some things that you want set. That we can say, I'm a part of this, and this is what I want to do with this organization, this uh, this initiative, or whatever. If you don't mind, I would like to add one small caveat in the fine print of ask a question. Okay. I need I need black folks to know, but I also more importantly need white folks to know. We as the black community, we are not required to educate you. <laughs> like I don't mind being asked certain questions, but at the same time, we're not we're not we're not required to educate you, right? So just be mindful of who you ask that question to or how you frame it or when you choose to bring it up, you know, because you know, we're also not required to help you. This is y'all created right. this problem. <laughs> we didn't. So right. So I, I end of the day, like again. But you have to go, when you're asking that question, it's got to be open-minded and it's got to be, I have to be willing to ask a question with the possibility of getting an answer and of almost regretting asking because it might be such <laughs> you a... You might get your answer. feelings hurt. <laughs> yeah, you might get your feelings hurt. But if you can ask that question, that's, that's the beginning of your breakthrough. So I think right. that that's important. So, yeah, like you, so when you say requirement, I think that, in so many words, it's like, if you're going to ask a question, don't be like, well, what about, what about, what about? Mm. Because mm-hmm. that's the part where I say, uh-uh, well, that tells me you weren't trying to learn. You were just trying to debate with me. Mm-hmm. So are you here to learn? Or are you here to debate? Because mm. I don't debate. Right. No, that was a, that's that's a great point. You are right about that. Because some folks are just looking for they just they just coming over here to build ammunition, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to really trying to make transformational change. So so as a review, you you want folks need to come. They need to come to the to the cookout with an open mind. Yes. They need to sit down and listen. All right. Do a lot more listening than they are talking. Don't be afraid to ask questions, but ultimately know you might get your feelings hurt by the answer. Or at the bare right. minimum, it may make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And now, and then once you're armed with the information that you got from your questions, be prepared to go act. Yes. Show action and initiative. Would you also say that, like, you know, none of the action doesn't mean that you have to go, like, join the NAACP tomorrow, but it could be just... Right. Right. I it could right. be just... I'm treating my new, I'm treating my teammates better. I'm treating the people who I know better, right? Right, right. I'm breaking uh, down I, some of the barriers of my implicit bias. And it's like in the process, you'll actually that when you start getting to the point where you can ask those questions and break through those walls. Now this is the perfect time where you can feel good about yourself. Now you can feel like okay, like I'm growing because you're asking stuff that you're like, dang, that really sucked. They answered that way. But you know what? Like, I did ask. And I, like, heard him or her. Like, I actually listened to them. So the last thing I want to say is people definitely need to check you out on YouTube and follow your Instagram. What's your Instagram again? Uh, Nation 23 J-O-V-I-N-A-T-I-O-N 23. Um, that's both. It's just for Twitter and IG. 
would tell people that if they want to watch you cook people to go to your Twitter because you intellectually cook people. But if they want to learn in real time what's going on in our community, they should watch you on uh, Instagram. And if they want to just learn in general and really get that knowledge, they need to bring a pen and paper to the classroom on YouTube. So, yeah, got them all covered now. All social media platforms for the most part. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to talk, man. I know how busy you are, and you're in demand. You're a very in-demand person right now. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for uh, having me on, man. Thank you. Thanks, man. Now we just got to get you uh, on the field somehow. Stop it. Okay, get off the <laughs> floor. Where's my lawyer? Now, I really appreciate Jovan Miller taking some time to talk to us. He took us all the way back to middle school and Ryan Boyle and right up to present day. Um, This was a longer episode, but I thought there was some really important stuff that needed to be said, especially in this uh, first episode. I really appreciate you guys checking it out, and I hope you stay tuned for more on the Black and Lax podcast.